we've been in that conversation uh, in Ephesians, uh, centered directly in Ephesians 6, where uh, we've been looking at uh, what Paul is encouraging us to do, which is to get ready, to get prepared. And, and he's using some uh, strong military language to reinforce the urgency, uh, the importance. And what I've realized in, in my life and even in our family is, uh, you know, we've had a hard couple of years and, and we had a hard start to this year. So we were like, nah, it's just going to be another hard year. Uh, but to our surprise, uh, things kind of uh, slow down a little bit and, and all of a sudden things start to get a little better and, 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 and not as chaotic and not as problematic. And, and immediately what happens, at least for me, I'm not speaking for uh, anyone else, but when things start to slow down and, and I don't have this like chaos and this immediate, urgent, like obvious fight I settle into complacency. I pray a little less. I pray a lot less. I read scripture a little less. Petition God on behalf of others a little less. And all of a sudden, I start to find that my faith becomes dormant. And then a fight comes along, and I'm like, oh, I got to go again. Here we go, re-energize. And, and, and what Ephesians is reminding us today is that the enemy doesn't go anywhere. You may not see the fight at the gates. You may not see the enemy uh, actively waiting, but he is. And, and a lot of times the enemy will back up just a little, let us fall into complacency, and then re-engage. And it takes us by surprise. And what Paul is saying is, you shouldn't be surprised. The enemy wants to come to kill, steal, and destroy you, and he doesn't change his tactic, and he doesn't change his mission, and he doesn't relent. You may seem like it's relented, but he's not going anywhere. He still wants to destroy you, and so you've got to be ready. And in Ephesians 6, it says, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil for our battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers. It's against authorities. It's against the world powers of this darkness. Bless you. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that the, you may be able to resist the, the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Paul's describing the reality that the enemy is not obvious many times. He's describing the reality that we are fighting unseen forces. He's describing the reality that the enemy doesn't engage in open combat. It's not open warfare. There's something happening beyond what we can see. And the enemy doesn't fight fair. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but the enemy doesn't fight fair. He doesn't play by the rules that we expect him to play by. And so we have to be prepared to stand firm in our faith, because there's a battle going on right now, a battle for your attention, a battle for your thought life, a battle for your prayer life, your marriage, your family, your kids, your finances, everything is at stake. Everything is at stake, and everything is open to the enemy's attacks. Nothing is uh, too sacred. Nothing is uh, off limits. The enemy wants it all, and you and I have to be ready, and the difference maker for us is to recognize that you're in a battle. To recognize that you have an enemy that despises you because you and I lose every battle we're not prepared for. We lose every battle we don't suit up for and engage in. And what Paul is saying is, you're in a fight, so prepare. Let's get ready. And he says, this is how you do it. Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. And your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. We've talked about truth. We've talked about righteousness. This morning we're going to talk about the sandals of peace. 
The sandals of peace are uh, an interesting concept. Uh, sandals in general, uh, putting on uh, shoes, is something that many of us, if not all of us, take, take for granted. Uh, we just have uh, shoes, and then we choose the one we like in the moment. I think today it took me like 45 seconds to choose. I was between some tennis shoes and uh, these, and I was like, I'm not going to do any physical exercise today, so let's go with these. These are uh, combat boots that were created in 1942 uh, for South African officials, and I'm like, how appropriate. I'm not fighting that I know of in the desert, but I'm going to wear desert combat boots. And so uh, what I realized is that you pick the shoe, you put some time into it. Some of you may put less time, maybe some of you more. No judgment here, uh, but we move on. And I would venture to say that not a single person in this room, except for Taylor, who's still nursing a hurt toe, paid attention to where they were walking. We all just walked into the building. You didn't look at the ground. You didn't look to see if there was like rocks or snakes. I don't know what's out there, but you didn't look. You just walked in. Why? Because you had shoes on. Shoes for all of us are, by and large, an accessory, but they're also, uh, they're also pretty important. When we have shoes on, it gives us the ability to shift our focus. I don't know if you've ever walked barefoot. I try not to as often as possible. Periodically, uh, I'll go out quickly, and we have a gravel driveway, and I'm reminded how tender and soft my feet are. You know, like, my ancestors would be so disappointed in, uh, in our feet, but they're soft, they're tender, When you don't have shoes on, you're mindful of every single step, meaning your focus is now shifted from what you're doing to what you're walking on. See, when you and I have shoes, our focus shifts from what we're walking on, and it can focus then on where we're going, what we're doing. If you work a job here, you have shoes on. You're not every day trying to figure out where to walk and what you can step on. You're able to engage in the task that you're paid to engage in, unless that's walking. And so we're working. We're shifting our focus. See, when you and I have the sandals of peace on, it shifts our focus. We move from uh, having to, to think about and, 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 and worry about what we're going to step on. We move without fear, and we turn our full attention onto the battle at hand. It frees us up. When your feet are covered, you can focus on where you're going and less on, uh, on, on what you're going to step on. And so for all of us, practically and spiritually, the sandals of peace provide for us the opportunity to move. But the interesting thing about sandals in context of this passage, and Paul would have been well-versed in this, is that they weren't sandals like you and I wear, like on the beach. You know, we're not talking about like flip-flops that inevitably break over time. We're not talking about uh, sandals like we would imagine. The Roman soldiers often uh, fitted their shoes with spikes, stakes, that would dig deep into the ground. They weren't an accessory. They were part of the armor. They were used as a weapon. The shoes were not just uh, completing an outfit, but they were something that were essential in order to hold ground. They would dig their feet down into the ground in combat to hold the ground against the enemy. They would take ground, they would move, they would set their feet, take another step and move. You've seen Gladiator or many other movies where they have their shields and they all form a line and they, they move and then sometimes you lose a little ground and, and you've got to dig in to not lose more and then you've got to take ground and you dig in. And some of us in this room have lost ground this week. The enemy's come and he's taken some of the ground that you fought hard for. I'm here to tell you it's time to dig your feet in. He doesn't get any more. Maybe you're here and you need to take some ground. Maybe you need to take some ground back. We're going to move today. 
We're going to move forward one step at a time. We move together as a battalion, as a unit. We move together as a community of faith. And we take ground and we dig our feet in because at the very end, we stand. We stand not in our own strength but in the strength of the Lord. And so shoes are part of our armor. They're not an accessory. They're essential. And in today's terms, we would consider these less chacos and more combat boots. We're strapping on combat boots, which are a minimum accessory or uh, aspect of combat. You have to have shoes in order to move out. Uh, I never served in the military. Probably not a surprise to many, but I, I know that you got to have boots on. you got to have combat boots as a, as a minimum because if you don't have shoes, you're not prepared. You're not ready to, to go. And Paul says, sandal your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. There's an emphasis on being ready. Ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take the message of Christ out into the world. And so the question when Paul is saying you've got to be ready is what are you ready for? What are you today ready for? We have a generation, a society of people that are ready to be offended. Right? You've seen them. Maybe you are them. We have a generation of people ready to be offended. The moment something happens, it's posted, it's sent, it's text, whatever, they're offended. We have a generation of people ready and willing to engage in an argument. Do you know those people? They're just waiting for you to say something so they can just fight back with you. And we fall for it, we engage in it, and then we're like, oh, why did I engage in that conversation again? Why did I engage in that Facebook post again? Why am I even on Facebook? That's the question we should all be asking. And there's this idea, though, that there are people who are ready for a lot of things. And every one of us in this room are ready for something. But are we ready for peace? Are we ready to wage war for peace? See, we've been invited to take the gospel forward. The gospel in Greek is literally good news, right? But there's a lot of good news, you know? Like I could say, hey, we're going to have a baby. Well, that wouldn't be good news for us. But I could say someone we know wants to have a baby and they're going to have one. I could say uh, there's a new car or whatever. There's a lot of good news. Paul's not describing any of those other good news. He's describing the good news of peace. The reality that God desires peace with us. And the world is ready. The world is ripe and ready for the good news of peace that, that we have, that we can hold, that we have the responsibility to share. This gospel of peace has been placed in our lap to do something with. And if we'll take up the responsibility, then we'll ready our feet with the sandals of peace and take the gospel of peace forward. In John 27, 27, Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you peace, but it's not like peace that the world gives you. The world can give us peace. Have you noticed that? It's momentary. But it can give you peace. There are things that we can find ourselves engaged in that in the moment give us a momentary relief and and a peace of mind, but long-term create turmoil. And Jesus is saying, this is not the kind of peace that I'm inviting you to step into. The peace that I offer you is not peace like the world. So how can we share the peace if we don't have it? We have to receive this gift of peace. It's a gift that Jesus gives to us if we'll accept it. And we have to accept the peace so we can walk in peace and share the peace of God. And I find it odd that in the middle of all of this warfare talk in Ephesians, in the middle of this description of, of, of armor, of shields and swords, and, uh, and, and how there's the principalities and forces of evil that are coming at you, evil like we can't even imagine, and you can't see, 
And it's war that's happening in the heavenlies and, and all of this violent war talk. Paul goes, you got to put on sandals of peace. For me, I go, which one is it? Are we going to have peace or are we going to have war? Like, pick a lane, you know what I mean? Like, if you got to figure out which direction you want to go, Paul, so we can align with you. You're talking about war already, but now you're introducing peace, and it kind of throws my mind off. I'm like, which one? And, and if he's talking about battles and, 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 and things happening in the darkness, and he's like, but even in the midst of all of these things, we've got to be ready with peace. It's confusing to me. And in fact, so much of the Bible is violence. Right? I mean, you look at the Bible and there's just all this like hideous violence. I mean, the main character was brutally murdered. So what do we expect? The, 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 this Bible as a, as, a, as a whole is violence. Bloodshed and, and, and nations upon nations. And there's, there's murder and there's uh, people being thrown in furnaces and lion's dens. And like all of this stuff. And you're like, this is crazy. Is there a really peace to be found even in the scriptures? And if we're honest, on the surface, the Bible doesn't seem to be in alignment with peace. Until we begin to realize that all life is a battle. And the Bible is a direct reflection of the life that we live. All life is a battle. That violence and that turmoil and that upheaval, we feel that, don't we? And it may not be physical violence and bloodshed, and ideally it's not, uh, but there's violence, there's turmoil transpiring inside of a human soul. That all life is a battle. In fact, from the moment you were born, you were fighting for that next breath. All life is a battle. You've been fighting. You're a fighter. You've been fighting for uh, your family and your relationships and your marriage, your job, whatever. There are people that want to come and take things from you, and sometimes they do. All life is a battle. And the term peace means that there's an absence of anxiety, that you live in a state of harmony and serenity. But if I were to take a poll across the room, and I won't, I would venture to say that no one in this room lives this way. No one in this room is living without any anxiety, any worry, in a complete state of total harmony. And if that's you, we're happy you're here. But for the normal people in the room, the ones who are living in the real world and we're not checked out somewhere, we have worry. We have anxiety. In fact, I have these moments where I like worry about strange things. Anybody worry about weird things? Like, the other day, I was just like, out of nowhere, I was like, I wonder if a hot water tank's about to go out. Like, what kind of problem is that going to cause? Like, how am I going to fix that? Like, out of nowhere, my hot water tank's probably pretty new. I don't even know. Or I'll worry about, like, maybe something strange will transpire or whatever. And, and, and the way that the brain works, and, and maybe it's partly the enemy, maybe it's partly just the fact that we live engaged in uh, constant uh, a state of worry because of social media and so on. We just have these waves of weird worries. Like, is that tree going to fall? Is my car going to break down? Like, these things just happen. And then we'll forget about it, and then we'll slide right back into it because we're in constant uh, state of anxiety. And the problem with our interpretation of the word peace is that we think it means no more war. When Paul's saying, put on the sandals of peace, we think it means you're not going to have to fight anymore. John Lennon gets his way. There's no more war. It's, been, it's over. We can walk in this Zen state of harmony with the universe where there's no more problems. The issue is, though, that Paul is talking about peace in the middle of a lot of other armor that we wouldn't need if there wasn't war. Meaning, Paul could have just come out and said, hey, put on the sandals of peace and you're good to go. 
if you'll just put the peace sandals on. You don't have to worry about the helmet or the sword or the shield because everything's in harmony and you're going to be awesome. The problem is, he's saying, you got to put on all this other armor because there's still a fight. There's still an enemy. There's still a battle. But don't forget to put on your sandals of peace. And when we read the Bible and we read all the violence, we have to wonder what kind of peace is Paul inviting us into. Jesus himself says this in Luke 12. Uh, Do you think that I came here to give peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I can imagine everybody sitting around hearing Jesus say this. Do you think that I came to bring peace? Everyone's going, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, no, 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 you didn't. What? I thought you came to bring peace. We already had war. We already had oppression. We already had marginalization. We already had that without Jesus. We thought you were coming to save us from that. He says, no, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. That's not exciting, Jesus. Someone should have told him. That's not what we wanted. He doubles down. He goes on. He says, I'm not just bringing division. I'm bringing division between families. Sons and fathers, they're going to divide. Spouses. People in community. There's going to be division. We go, Jesus, we didn't need that. We needed harmony. We needed uh, some some Zen-like thoughts. We don't need this. We have this without Jesus. We need something more peaceful. And we read this passage and we assume that Jesus might be a terrible person because he came to make things worse until we begin to realize that Jesus came to reconcile the world to God. And the aim of our warfare is that people would accept the terms of peace according to God. And there are a lot of people that don't want that last few words. The only reason there is conflict at all is because of power of sin and Satan. They're warring against what God desires for us. And the division that comes from Jesus is that Jesus has called us to live holy and righteous. He calls us to separate ourselves from the world. And sin just wants to pull us right back in. And there's this tension and all of us feel it on a daily basis. That all life is a battle. And their battles are won and lost second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And we don't fight in our own strength, thankfully, because we couldn't handle it. But all life is a battle. But here's the thing, is that all battles have purpose. All battles are for something. All wars have reason. I know we don't always understand it. But all wars have reason. All wars have, uh, there's something behind the scenes that we're not able to see. and, And they're happening for a reason. Most are fought for power or for money or for control. But God's war is for the human soul. He's fighting on behalf of you and me. That the war God is waging is for you and for me. And the tension that we feel is that there's this pull towards sin. There's this pull towards uh, the world and God who keeps calling us to him. And when the Bible speaks of peace, it isn't that there's no more wars between nations or an absence of violence in our cities. It wasn't that we were going to have a calm and peaceful life. Instead, it was God declaring peace with his people. God has declared peace with you and me. The time of his vengeance was put aside so that there could be peace. In Ephesians 2.13, Paul says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace who made both groups, these are Jews and Gentiles, one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations 
so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross and put hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. It's because of Jesus that we have peace with God. It's because of Jesus that the entire Bible from Genesis up to the moment that Jesus was born in a manger points towards Jesus. It's foretelling of a coming of a Messiah who's going to come and save us. And everything from the moment Jesus uh, died, rose from the grave, and went to heaven to revelation points back to Jesus. That it's all about Jesus. That through him we realize that God reconciled the world to himself. And because of sin, you and I are in debt to God. And it's because of Jesus that our debt has been paid. And we gather every Sunday to celebrate this reality that our debt's been paid. That we've been reconciled to Christ and through Isaiah and through the angels and Luke and, and, and through Jesus. Everything is pointing us towards the reality that our debt has been paid. And every time we eat of that bread and we sip of that cup, we're reminded that something, someone paid the cost for our freedom. Meaning there's peace between us and God here on earth. But often that peace comes on the heels of turmoil. There's turmoil inside of us. My wife thought it would be a good idea for us to uh, take up all the carpet in the landing uh, upstairs and put down hardwood. And by us, she mostly just meant me. And so uh, I took up all the carpet and pulled up all the tack strips and spent two years pulling up staples because I don't know why they put so many staples in, in uh, the backing, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Come in and I brought the wood. My father-in-law shows up. He's considerably handier than I am. And, and I'm ready to go. And he shows up and he's like, hey, some of your subfloor has some water on it. We probably need to replace it. I'm like, no, we're good. Like, let's, I'm putting, let's just put floor down and it's fine. He's like, but it's had some water damage. It's probably, gonna, but it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, let's just get going. I would rather do it right now than do it right. And so I'm like, let's just put the floor down and we'll be fine. He's like, I think you're going to regret it. Let's go ahead and do it. And I'm like, if you really want to. And so he starts tearing it up. And I don't know if you've ever tore up like wet OSB, but it just, it's like the tiniest pieces of wood you've ever imagined. It's just a mess like you can't fathom. And I don't like mess. And even he was stating like, I really hate this part of the process. I'm like, but you're doing it. And, and so we're making a mess and we're vacuuming, sweeping for what feels like hours to, to get the, the subfloor up. And it's just this huge mess. And I hate home projects. If you love them, then there's something wrong with you. I hate it because in order to restore something, you have to tear it out. And I don't like that. I don't like the tearing out process. It's messy. And a lot of us spiritually want the new, but we don't want the tearing out process. We go to counseling, and we don't want to bring up the past. We just want to move forward. We go to a surgeon, and we just want the thing out of us or thing to repair, but we don't want to go through the process of surgery or, or medication. We just want the end result. I want the stairs done, and they're by and large done, but I don't want the tearing out part. And in order for us to have and find peace, sometimes it comes on the heels of the tearing out. And it's painful, and it's messy, and we don't like it. And yet, many times, that's how we get to peace. And if you've been around here for a while, you know I close every service, or whoever closes, whomever. Uh, we close with number 624. It's a, 
a benediction. And I've been doing this for 10 years. I do this at funerals. I do this at weddings. Uh, I've probably done it a million times. I've yet to memorize it. That's a side note. But uh, I still read it every single time I had the opportunity to speak because I believe in it. But in all the years I've done this, I've, I've never spoke to the context of the blessing. And, and the passage is this in number 6. If we back up one verse in 23, it says, Tell Aaron and his sons how you were able to bless the Israelites. Say to them, may Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favor upon you and give you peace. Don't go anywhere. That was not, that was a, a pre-blessing. It's not over. In context, this uh, Arianic blessing is quite ironic. Where he's being told to send a blessing of peace. That God says, I want you to bless Israel. I want you to pray a blessing of peace. But they were getting ready for war. They were going to conquer the promised land. Here they are getting their armor on, sharpening their swords and, and, and getting their shields strapped in tight and putting on the belt and, and everything for war. And God is saying, I want you to pray a blessing of peace. Bless them with peace as you prepare for war. I think some of us probably need to make that our mantra moving forward. I'm going to bless you with peace as I prepare for war. I'm ready, but I'm going to make sure that I'm blessing you with peace. God was referring to this inner peace and this uh, completeness brought on by a, a trust in his protection. This blessing was what Israel needed. I'm blessing you with peace, but we're sharpening our swords. See, peace is available to you and I, but it might come on the heels of major conflict. Because peace is available to us does not mean that we don't get up every day getting ready for battle. That you might be going to war right now. But I would encourage you, and I think Paul would encourage you as well, to war from peace. To make sure that when we go to war, we're warring from a place of peace in Christ. See, there are thugs and warriors. Thugs are just looking for a fight. Warriors are looking for the right fight. Thugs will fight anybody, anytime, anywhere. But warriors fight with purpose and intentionality. You and I, we're going to fight, but we have to choose. Are we just going to fight anybody and everybody? Or are we going to fight with purpose? See, my goal, your goal should be that we fight for peace. We fight from peace and we fight for peace. And the reason we wage war is to bring peace. And sometimes we have to wield the sword. And we see this throughout scripture. And sometimes we have to sheathe the sword. But we always fight for peace, and the reason there's a war waging inside of you is because God is fighting for your soul, and the enemy doesn't want to let go, and he will not let the enemy have you. And so there's this inner tension, and we have to squelch that. We have to determine, are we going to fight for peace, or are we going to uh, fight for fighting? And God desires to give us peace, but it's not like peace we imagine. He's declared peace to those who accept Jesus. And if you've accepted Jesus, you now have this gift, and we now give this gift Meaning we were once enemies of God, but now we've been called his family, his friends. And if we've received the work of the cross and we've received salvation, we're no longer enemies of God. But peace does not mean that there's a place where there's no noise and there's no pain and there's no heartache and there's no suffering. Peace in God means that in the midst of all of those things, Christ is with us. In the midst of those wars, God is with us. And even in the most chaotic moments in our lives, we can have this internal peace to know that God is in control. That even when our world seems to have gone upside down, we can still believe that God is in control. And God wants us to have this internal peace 
And we can find both peace with God and peace in God through the person of Jesus. That all life is a battle. All battles are for something. And lastly, everything that we have is the result of a battle. Everything that we have. If you're married, you want out against some other guys or some other ladies, right? I don't know how hard you had to fight for her, but you won. If you've got a job, most likely you beat other people out for that job, right? You have kids, you beat the odds. There's this reality that you and I, everything that we have is the result of a battle. Everything that we have, we've had to fight for at some level. And if history has taught us anything, wars end, but battles continue. They don't stop. Wars end, but battles never stop. We're still fighting against racism and fighting against uh, uh, abortion laws and we're fighting against equal pay and all of this stuff. We're still fighting these cultural battles. The problems come when we try to share the gospel of peace, but we don't feel that ourselves. We realize we're in a battle, but we're fighting for peace. And once we've received that, we understand that, then we're always able to share the good news of peace with others. We're not fighting the right battles if we're doing something else. And some of us, we're not fighting the right battles. There's hard and healthy things and hard and unhealthy things. Some of us, we're fighting, and it's hard and it's unhealthy, and you're fighting the wrong battles, or it's not your battle to fight. Some of us, we need to take a step back and go, is this the right fight for me to be in? Some of us... There are hard things in our life, but it's healthy, and we need to fight, we need to push on, we need to hold firm. We need to make peace the objective. And if you make peace with God, you can then go out and make peace with others. And since we're now part of his family, that peace uh, has been declared with us, and we can declare peace with our enemies. We are called to be agents of peace. So I want to invite you into a life of peace, where everywhere your feet go, you leave a trail of peace. Where malice and hate and deceit have no place in your life and in your relationships and your family. That we are people who walk in peace and leave a trail of peace like a strong cologne. You can smell you coming and you can smell you when you've left. And it's just peace that permeates every space that you're in. And I pray that you will be people who don't just invite peace, but you fight for peace. That though we suit up in armor, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. But our fight is for peace. And we have truth around our waist. And we have righteousness on our chest. And we have sandals of peace. And it's only when we get these three elements in place that we're able to get the rest of the armor. I don't know if Paul did this on purpose, but I think he did. He said, you've got to have truth first. You've got to be righteous. And you've got to be walking in peace. I'm not going to give you a sword yet, right? Because you wouldn't give a kid a sword. Can you imagine the damage that they would create? Why would he give us a sword first? I just want the sword. That's the fun part, right? I just want to wield a sword. I want to swing it around. And Paul's saying, we've got to be prepared. When someone grabs the sword first and they don't have truth and righteousness and peace, it cause damage. And we've known those people. Those people are in churches everywhere. Those people might be here. They might be you. We have people who are willing to cause damage because you're not grounded in peace. You don't have truth on your waist, and you're not walking in righteousness. And we encounter those people, and they're dangerous individuals. They're dangerous because they appear to be wholesome, and they appear to be good, and they appear to have all the best intentions for your life and for others. They appear to be godly. But what you can't see is there's no righteousness, and there's no truth, and there's no peace. They just have the sword, and they're just swinging it. We're not going to be those people because we're going to suit up appropriately. We're not going to give up the fight. We're not going to give up the fight because the people around us are worth it. 
You may be fighting for someone else's peace. You may be fighting for peace with someone else. We save space. We hold space. We get ready. And we fight for peace. But if there's a war waging inside of you, don't ignore it. Take it to God. God, there's tension here in my life. Can you bring peace to my soul? If you're fighting for peace with someone else, don't give up for peace with them. If you're fighting on behalf of someone else, they're worth it. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting for peace with one another. That the peace that we take into this world can and will only come from Christ. In Philippians 4, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought. Now I know I'm in a room full of savants. You guys are thought savants. You are wise, intelligent people. Uh, I recognize your intelligence. But what Philippians is saying to you and I is the peace that we can imagine, even with our intelligence, it goes beyond that. It surpasses every thought, and it will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, these are the things that we're to dwell on. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and look at this. And the God of peace will be with you. Not just a God who offers peace. Not just a God who gives us peace. But he is the God of peace. You want more peace? Invite more of God. Become more like God. God, I want to love like you. I want to believe like you. I want to walk in your ways. I want to see the world the way that you've invited me to see it. Some of you, you're in tough environments. You're around challenging people. Can we invite God into our hearts so that we can see the people around us and fight for peace. And when you leave this building, though, here's what I know, is that there's going to be something or someone that's going to try to take your peace. You're going to get that tax, you're going to have that thing, and it's going to steal your peace. It's going to try to steal your peace. You're going to fight for it. You're going to sandal your sandals a little tighter knowing that it's going to be tough. Having peace, making peace with God and others is an interesting concept, and it's all wrapped up in one word. It's the word shalom. I don't think we use this word, maybe not enough. I don't think we use it at all. But if you were to go to Israel today, and you were to walk into someone's home, they would say shalom. It would be a greeting. It would be like hello. It would be like welcome. Shalom. They're greeting you with peace. If you were to hang out, spend some time, and leave, they would say shalom. They were leaving you with peace. They were blessing you. Shalom is all-encompassing. It's this uh, wholeness. It's this holistic approach, this well-being of not just having peace, but being well in peace. Shalom, walk in peace, come in peace. Shalom, leave in peace, leave a trail of peace. I think we need more shalom in our lives. Peace between us and God. Peace between us and others. We are agents of peace. Sometimes we have to sharpen the sword a little more and fight for peace. So may we be wise as serpents and harmless as doves so that we're not people who cause more harm, but we bring help and healing to the people around us because we fight for peace. We put on the armor of God so that there may be peace. So we close today inviting you into a life of peace where you walk in peace so whatever War is waging inside of you. Take it to God. I don't know what you need from him today, but he does, and he's here. And he wants to meet you right where you are in the fight that you're in and the battle that you're facing, and he wants to bring peace into your life, a solace that supersedes our 
thought life, our ability to even comprehend it, what does that look like in our lives? I don't know because I can't comprehend it, but he wants to bring it to us if we'll allow it. So if you would, let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. And where you sat, if you feel comfortable, you don't have to, but I invite you, where you sat, just to place your hands, palm up on your lap. This is a common way of, uh, of simply eliminating distractions and, and getting ourselves into a place where we're simply going to receive whatever God has to give us. And so we're just going to ask God, say, God, give me peace today. Give me peace in my life, in my heart, in my soul. But help me to stay ready so that I'm not caught off guard by the enemy. Father, our prayer this morning is that you bring about peace in our hearts that we would be wise, that we would move with wisdom. So God, forgive us. We've made mistakes in thought, word, deed, and action by things we've done and said, things we should have done and should have said. We've uh, operated the sword before we've had the sandals of peace, and, and, and we're sorry for that. Sometimes in our zeal and in our uh, human uh, frailty, we, we've gone and stepped above uh, where we should have, and so God, we're sorry. And so in this moment, we're repenting. We're asking for forgiveness. We're asking for you to cleanse our hearts and help us to start fresh and new so that we can put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the sandals of peace and we can go back into war again. God, we thank you that you're not letting us go. You're fighting for us. You're fighting on behalf of us. You are for us and you are with us and you are in us. And so God, we just invite that spirit of peace in our hearts to calm our spirits. In Jesus' mighty name.